You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. Tell you what, it feels good to be with the Lord and just to spend time worshiping and praising His name. Yesterday, well, really Friday night, we had one of those evenings, Sheila had made a lemon pie. I was sitting in the living room and all of a sudden I heard this sound and and putting it in the oven, she dumped it out and it went everywhere and we were cleaning up the oven. A little while later, she was, uh, we were eating a hamburger. She bit down on something. She said, oh no, and cracked her tooth down into the gum. And so yesterday was real hectic. And then... um, Yesterday, Jeffrey, I think, was making a visit. Megan was helping Sheila and the dentist uh, fix the tooth. And I had Silas for a little while. And Silas, he and I were in Dick's Sporting Goods. And he got real distracted. He was playing. He, he wouldn't come when I told him to come on. So I did like a lot of parents and grandparents do. I said, okay, Silas, bye. We'll see you later. And I slipped around the corner. And he was over there playing with some stuff. He didn't care at all. And so I was sitting over there kind of watching him. And he then I noticed he kind of looked. And then he went back to playing again. Then he looked again. He went back to playing again. And finally, I couldn't resist it. He looked up. And I just looked around there. And he smiled real big at me. And it was like, Papa, I know you're not going to leave me. And that's the kind of Lord we serve. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We serve a great God, Lord, as, as Jeffrey and this worship has reminded us. You never abandon us. You never leave us. We may get busy with the things of the world. We may get distracted. And Lord, we may even be out of your will for our lives. We may even be living in disobedience, ignoring or even rebelling against a command. But Lord, like a loving grandfather, like a loving dad or mom, a grandmother, you're still watching. You don't leave us there. And Lord, it's such a joyful moment when the reunion takes place. There's nothing better than when a child looks up and lifts their arms and you pick them up and you hold them and you just kiss them. And it is, a sloppy wet kiss is not always the kiss of a man and a woman, but it's sometimes a kiss of a parent as they hold their child. You just can't hold them tight enough and long enough. So Lord, we thank you that you love us that way. If grace were an ocean, Lord, we'd all be sinking in it because, oh, how you love us. We pray, dear Lord, as we look to your word that you might guide our hearts and we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you to take your Bibles. I want you to take them and turn to Proverbs chapter 22. I've been preaching a series called Every Every Room in the House, and we've been looking at different parts of our home that we may need to address, get back in order, in order that our home may operate more efficiently and better. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, he says that everything should be done decently and in order. Now, in, in, in looking at children, in looking at a child's room, 
we've uh, put a little model over here to the side. We have a, a little bedroom scene here. We have a child's bed. It's made up. little stuffed animal. We have a toy box and a book and a toy there. We have a clothes basket. Even have a picture there for every parent. And I pray that every parent will go by, spend a moment, look at that picture because it speaks volumes. Now, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, are you there yet? Say amen. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now look down at verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And we're going to talk a little bit today about discipline as well. Now, hold your finger there on Proverbs and take a left and go back in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. This is the Shema in the Hebrew. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Brian, this is what you and I were talking about last night in our men's ministry meeting. This is the whole man. He's, he's disciplined physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. This is a disciplined man or woman. These commandments, verse 6, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now he's talking here to parents. And in verse 7, he shifts and says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. And the Jew would literally do that. And bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Impress them. What is them? Impress the commandments that you have hid in your heart in verse 6. The Jesuits used to say this, and I want every parent with children under seven years of age especially to listen to this. They said that if they could have the commanding influence in the life of a child until that child was seven years old, the child was theirs. Now listen to what they went on to say. By then the child's character was formed. His convictions or her convictions were embedded. And his or her course was set. Listen to this, mom and dad. No amount of contrary teaching would greatly alter the basic bent of that child. Now let me repeat it and emphasize some things that were said. The Jesuits said this, this religious institution, this body of uh, men and women, many of them missionaries, said that if they could have the commanding influence, that means that it's not delegated to someone else. If they could have the commanding influence in the life of a child until that child was seven years old, the child was theirs meaning their faith, their principles, and their convictions had been successfully implanted into the life of that child. 
Now listen to what they said. By then the child's character was formed. His or her convictions were embedded, impressed. And his course was set. Or her course was set. No amount of contrary teaching. Now listen, parent. That means any other authority figure, teacher, coach, peer, other parents, college professors, or even a profession would greatly alter the basic bent of that child. Years ago, a woman needing advice wrote to Jack Mabley. He was a columnist for the Chicago Daily News. She said in the article, in the letter, she said, I have a 17-year-old son who is breaking my heart. He refuses to listen to anything I say. He is rude. He's defiant. He's abusive. He uses bad language around the house. He runs around with a bad crowd. Sometimes he comes home drunk. And I suspect that he's using drugs and may be in trouble with the law. What should I do? Mabley's advice was curt but sadly true. He wrote back there in the Chicago Daily News and he said to this mother, shrink him down to 17 months and start all over again. The article ended by saying, in other words, it was too late to hope to command, respect, and enforce discipline when her son was in his teenage years at the age of 17. He ended by saying training has to begin before a child is out of the crib. John Phillips commenting on Proverbs 22.6 said, Child training has to be comprehensive and consistent. That means 24-7 training up a child is a full-time job. Now, you may be here today and you have an older child. You may have an adult child and you say, wow, this is depressing to me. Well, think of it this way. When you and I are raising children, they're in those younger years, they're impressionable. We talked about that last week. So what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy, he was saying to the Jewish home and to the Jewish parents, he was saying, listen, while they're young and impressionable, what you have hid in your heart, that you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, that as a parent you love God with such an abandonment and you love the Word of God that you are constantly through the gate as you drive along, as you stop here, go there, everything, you are impressing those principles and your convictions into your child while they're impressionable because there comes a time that the concrete will harden and it will be too late. You can't impress into hardened, seasoned concrete. But I want you to listen closely. If you're here today and you're discouraged about a grown child, but you, God can. Never forget that. Now, the only way to alter what's been impressed in concrete is to break it. And I wrote this down. Let me say this. Only God can break what is ingrained in the character of a grown child, but He loves that child and He will do that. I wrote this down, parent. God may have to break your child when they become hardened. Let Him. 
led him. Secondly, pray. Pray, pray, pray. God may drive you to your knees in deep prayer, but it will draw you into such intimacy with Him, He will begin to let you see that you can trust Him with your grown child because He loves that child and has a plan and a purpose. And lastly, let me say this to parents who have grown children that right now may be breaking your heart. Fall in love with God and His Word. Spend a lot of time in prayer. Spend a lot of time in His Word. And then trust Him. I listened. I thought this was good. D.L. Moody said this. It just literally was something I don't think I'll ever forget. I heard this. D.L. Moody said, I would rather spend a day in the 8th chapter of Romans than a day in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that great? And he went on to say, because he said, I love it. He says, it starts off by saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and it ends with there's no separation from those that are in Christ. So parent, if you're here today, let me preface before I move any farther by simply saying to you, if you've got a child that's hurting and breaking your heart right now, trust God, lean on His sovereign hand, and stay in His Word, stay in prayer, and I promise you this, God is busy doing something even when you cannot see it. Amen? Now, let's move on to the practical, because last week we said this, we said it's only a two-point sermon. First of all, that first word, train up, and that word train in the Hebrew is to hedge in. It's to put boundaries, perimeters. You're trying to point your child in the right direction, and basically what you're doing is you're hedging them in so they have no choice but to go forward. It's the picture of a cattle chute. You remember when you're running cows up into a chute and you're loading them in a trailer, the truth of the matter is, as you put those cows, they can only go one at a time and a cow can't turn back. Once they enter that chute, they may, hey, you may have to prod them a little bit, but they're going. So this is the picture here, parent, of a parent who's actively, aggressively training their child and they're pointing them in the right direction. Now the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, it says what? Train a child in the, in, in it, what's implied here is to train up. Because you and I said that, we talked about this last week, your child and my children and all children and each one of us is naturally leaning downward. That's a picture of our sinful nature. You remember that statement? As a twig is bent, so grows the tree. In other words, what simply is clear here, and Paul makes it clear in the first three chapters of what I believe is the greatest theological discourse in, the, in all the Bible. In Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul says man has a propensity. He is inclined to do evil. You don't have to teach a child to do evil. It, it naturally comes to him. You know, I had you laughing last week, but it's true. I didn't have to sit Ledge down and say to Ledge, Ledge, let me teach you how to lie, son. This will come in real handy as you're growing up. I didn't have to teach Ledge how to lie. Ledge knew how to lie. 
And you and I understand that we all are bent that way. John Phillips said this. He said a successful elderly parent said this. If you and I do not break the will of our children when they first begin to manifest a rebellious, sinful nature, they will grow up to break our hearts. In fact, we said last week that money is not a sign of success. Your child may have a great job, may be doing extremely well, may be a mover and shaker in their profession. They may be a doctor, lawyer, whatever it may be. But a good career is not success. An athletic prodigy, a musical prodigy, an art uh, a, a individual is gifted in the arts is not, is not a prodigy or something to be a head cheerleader or to be some kind of popular individual at the school. That's not the sign of success. We basically said the sign of success. And hear me, parent. What is success? I want you to stop for a moment because how many times do we communicate to our children you need to get a good job so you can make a lot of money or you need to get a good education. My friend, listen, parent. If we, are, if we are a proponent of education and a good job and security and career and profession, then we don't even understand what the real idea of parental success is. Because 3 John verse 4 says it this way, John the Beloved said, I have no greater joy than this, that my children walk in the truth. You and I as parents need to understand something. A good education means nothing if they're not walking in the truth. A good job doesn't mean anything if they're not walking. They can be a prodigy if they're not walking into the truth. My friend, it ought to break the heart of every parent. Whatever your child succeeds in, the greater success is that they are walking in the truth of God's Word. Now, so the writer here is saying, train up. Willie and I, we do an LTG together, and we were talking about this, and how we, as, uh, as, as we are born into this world, how we are naturally like a tree. We're naturally leaning. If you have a tree that is leaning, what do you do? You, if you want to keep the tree, you begin to put a stake beside it or you pull it up by ropes and tie it down, stake it up so that it will start doing what? What do you want it to do? You want it to go, go straight up. Now the writer here in the Hebrew says train up a child in the way. And, and let, me, let me say it this way. There's a positive side and there's a negative side. The positive side is simply this that every child has gifts and abilities that have been given by God. Stan and Heidi have a brand new baby. His name's Abel. He's a small thing. How old is Abel now? He's six weeks old. Abel is six weeks old, but Abel has God-given, he has a God-given bent. He has inclinations towards certain gifts and abilities and talents uh, though I picked on the Mannings this week, let me, let me say something uh, positive here. I always remember what Peyton Manning said about Archie, his dad, who also played in the NFL and was a quarterback. He said, God gave me a gift and my dad helped me develop to develop it. Isn't that great? He said, God gave me the gift of football but my dad helped me to develop it. Now, parent, listen. When you have a child 
first of all, you and I have to understand that God has already bent this child, inclined this child toward certain gifts, toward certain abilities, toward certain attributes. You may be scratching your head looking at this rebellious, defiant little toddler, this terrible two-year-old, and thinking, my God, I can't even see nothing heavenly about this child right now. But God has inclined them. Your responsibility as a parent is getting down to their level and beginning to discern, God, help me to see how you have gifted and bent and inclined them. And God has a marvelous sense of humor. I think about Doug and Sandy. I think about Kristen. Uh, Kristen is a, she is a strong-willed individual. And you need those kind of people. She's a nurse. That's the that's kind of nurse you want. Then they had Laura, and Laura is a polar opposite. God has a wonderful sense of humor, and each one of the children that He gives you are in, listen, they're individuals, and they're inclined with certain gifts and abilities. And so the positive side of this is, parent, is that as you and I get with God, their Creator, in prayer, in the Word, in godly counsel, God begins to reveal that to us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul warned dads. He said, dads, do not exasperate your children because sometimes, dads, we don't like the bent of a child and we start working against that bent. The child may be gifted in music. The child may be gifted in art. The child may be gifted in academics. But we want a jock. We want an athletic prodigy. And so we begin to work against the way God has bent them. And it exasperates a child because they feel as if they're not being accepted by that primary authority figure. Does that make sense? But that's the positive side. There's also a negative side. And we, we said that a moment ago, that your child and my child is inclined toward sin, toward evil. If you look at Proverbs twenty two fifteen, he elaborates. What does he say? He says, folly, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. And so again, if you thought about it this way, if you have a tree, you, you, you bring a tree home. I, I almost went and bought a tree. Silas and I, we did a little shopping in Lowe's, and a tree was $22, and I thought, well, I'll just tell them rather than buying this tree to show them, even though Sheila would have loved a pear tree. But anyway, anyway, if you, if you have a tree in your yard and that tree is leaning over, what you want to do, you want to stake it up, you want to pull it back up so that it begins to grow straight. Now, I wrote this down. The idea of training up a child is like staking up a twig. As a twig grows, so grows the tree. As a twig is bent, so grows the tree. So you want it to grow straight. Well, how do you do that as a parent? By incorporating into the life of your children right now habits, behaviors that will make them more godly men and women when they're adults. Teaching them responsibility right now while you have the ability to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Some of you grandparents right now have the ability, have the opportunity to impress into your grandchildren maybe what you failed to impress into the lives of your kids. 
you can still begin to change that bent. Some of us as grandparents, we need to do, we need to do an end around. We need to go around that rebellious, defiant child and influence and impact the life of a grandchild. And my friend, a lot of times that grandchild will come back and affect that parent. There's been many a man or woman who's been woke up to reality and become great men and women of God because that little child began to speak truth into their life that we could not. It takes giving children responsibility, just like this bedroom over here. You may say, well, that's impossible. No, it's not. If you want a responsible adult, then it begins right there at a two- or three-year-old child as you begin to teach them how to behave, coming down on their level and beginning to teach them responsibilities. You're trying to literally stake them up You're working against that sinful, rebellious inclination that is in their heart that goes all the way back from Adam who said, I don't believe God and I'm going to live life in the garden the way I want to live it. And he rebelled against God. And we all have that nature. And sometimes, parents, it's hard to do that. Listen, I'm a type A personality. Let me tell you what I am. I am a just do it myself. Are you a just do it myself? Well, I'll just do it myself. You tell them to do this, they don't do it as fast or they don't do it as efficient and you're just, uh, well, I'll just do it myself. I'm a just do it myself person, type A. But let me tell you something, parents. Sometimes you and I have to back away, be patient because that child is in the process of learning. Now, let me give you some practical things. Number one, children will divide and conquer. That makes sense. Listen, this is Satan's greatest tool. In the garden, what he needed to do was to separate Adam from Eve, to get them apart. And if he could divide them, then he could conquer them. And it's true in your marriage. It's true in your home. It's true in business. It's true in a church. Satan's ability to divide and conquer. So what is critical is that mom and dad must be a united front. Even divorced parents must be careful here because often when there is a divorce, mom and dad get into competition for the affection of their children. They're trying to outdo one another. And a smart child picks up on that. The child becomes, or worse, the child becomes a pawn in the hand of the parent to inflict pain into their ex. You see, the enemy would have you divide and conquer. Secondly, the enemy is trying to pull them over. Why? He's trying to pull them over, trying to pull them to evil. If you're hedging in, training up, giving boundaries, the enemy is trying to pull them outside those boundaries, outside those perimeters, so he can get that child to begin to rebel and live not in your direction and your hedged in area but begins to live in rebellion the enemy is trying to pull your child over from the moment they're born the enemy has a campaign i know it's hard to believe and it may not be pleasant preaching but even right now abel who is wrapped tight around his mom the truth of the matter is the enemy has an agenda for abel and it's hard to believe that abel has a sin nature He has a propensity toward evil, toward rebellion, even in that innocent face. 
And Heidi and Stan's responsibility will be to battle against that inclination and to train Abel up in the way that he should go, pointing him in the right direction. But the enemy, all the while, if we said, here's the the, uh, hedged-in area, the enemy is out here dangling all kinds of attractive things, trying to pull your child and my child away from the authority and the leadership and the guidance of you as a parent. And let me tell you something about our enemy, Satan. He has more tools than he's ever had before. He has movies, he has music, he has peers, he has poor spiritual counsel, he has drugs over the counter and on the streets, he has dating, he has teachers, he has coaches, he has authority figures, and listen, he has preachers. So your enemy is trying, and so what the Bible here, what Solomon was saying, if this is Solomon speaking to young parents, he's saying, listen, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child. Moses said, impress into their lives while you have that narrow window of opportunity because it will so quickly slip away. Number three, parent by faith, not by fear. Does that make sense? There's a tendency in our lives sometimes to overprotect our children. Our idea is we don't want children to suffer. Maybe some of the things that we suffer. Sometimes children need to work through some of the same problems. They need to learn to navigate some of their own battles. Sometimes parents, we can't fight their battles. And I understand because I want to fight mine, my kids, my grandkids as well. But we can't. That's part of God's maturing process. I wrote a warning down here, but be prepared to intervene when their emotions or their anger or their depression or some difficulty they're in is bigger than they can handle. Did you hear that? Sometimes children get overwhelmed. Sometimes they're in a difficulty. Sometimes they're in the midst of some problem that is bigger than they are. And parent, you must intervene. I remember a time when I was in college, and I'm not talking just about children. I'm talking about children all ages. I was in college. I was going through a hard time. I was very discouraged, just downright depressed. My dad was visiting my grandmother. I drove up. I was in a Ford Pinto. Anybody remember what a Ford Pinto was? It looked like half of a car. My dad had bought this car. It was relatively new. I'd gone to visit Sheila. I had done this and done that, and I'd put some miles on it, used up a lot of the gas. My dad was very angry. My dad began to get on to me, reprimand me, when finally I just got up and walked out of my grandmother's house. I walked outside and I began to cry. And my dad realized in that moment, some of you dads and moms, you're too hard. And one of these days, God's going to slap you about two flips backwards. You're just too hard. My dad's a disciplinarian. My dad don't take a lot of guff. He just is pretty tough. But he walked out there, he began to see, and he realized that something was wrong with me. He wrapped his arm around me, began to hug my neck, and I just wept. I said, Dad, I'm down. Some of you young parents need to realize it's easy right now. Oh, you got all the answers. No, you don't. And I'm going to tell you something else. There's not one perfect parent, never met one including the one who's preaching to you. 
But you're number three, parent by faith, not by fear. There's a tendency to overprotect. We can't do that. When I was in Natchez and I was going through great difficulty in a church and I had called it down, I called it to a head. I had invited an African-American to come share his testimony and to, and to sing. And, and I was under tremendous fire. They were wanting to get rid of me. They were wanting to fire me. I'll never forget that day the church was full. And let me tell you who was there. My dad, my mom, even my sister came basically to stand beside me. Even, as an adult, even sometimes, listen to me, parent, when your children are adults and they're going through difficulty, they're going through heartache, whether it's even self-inflicted, sometimes you and I have to come alongside of them. And God understands because that's exactly what God does with his adult kids too. Number four, TV should be an experience rather than background noise. Your TV should be, if you're going to watch a program, it ought to be an experience that you sit down and watch. It's not a continual presence. It's not an uninvited guest because a lot of things that are coming across TV are not appropriate for children to hear. And if they're not appropriate for children to hear, probably not for mom and dad either. Number five, I, I wrote the word kiss. If you've been in the military, keep it simple, stupid. Now, let me, let me show you something real quickly. Over here, you know, I, I, I used this picture of, this, of a child's bedroom. But the reality is, if you'll notice something, and this may be a little thing, but it's real simple. If you don't have a lot of money, you just buy two of these baskets. One of them you label clothes for their dirty clothes. The other one you label toys. It is easy to get down on a second or a two or three-year-old and to get down on their level and to simply look at them and say, this basket here is for toys. When you finish your job, you get down with them, pick the toys up. You are training up. You're not dictating. You're not the dictator, the CEO. You're a parent. You're training your child. You're teaching your child to pick up their toys, to pick up their clothing. If they've messed up the bed, you keep it simple. Look, you may like the second sheet. Forget that. Get a comforter that's comfortable for them to sleep under. And let me tell you how quick. I can make the bed in about five seconds. Sometimes as a parent, as children are being raised, and you may say this is a practical thing, we teach our children. It was yesterday, I was in Lowe's, we were looking at the tools. It's interesting because uh, Silas, because Jeffrey loves tools, Silas wanted, he wanted to go to the tools. So we're walking around and all of a sudden he takes off and he's going to the tools. We get into the tools and then he picks, he wants me to pick him up. So I pick him up and a little way he wants down. So he goes, eh, eh, eh. And he starts trying to go down. I said, Silas, use your words. Eh. Silas, use your words. So we had, we had, a, we had a little bit of a, a standoff. Strong-willed Paul, strong-willed Silas. He finally got his way. But later on, he, picked his, he, did, he did his hands up. He wanted me to pick him up again. I picked him up. I was holding him. This time he wanted down. When he got ready to get down, listen to what he did. He turned and looked at me and said, I want down. Just like that. And you know what I did? I stopped in the middle of Lowe's. I got down and said, Silas, that's good. Give me five, buddy. You did it, man. I want down. Yeah. 
We had, look, we had a celebration there at Lowe's in the tool area over the fact that he said, no, we were actually in the plumbing by that time. He said, I want down. You see, because the reality is, is never acknowledge, and maybe that's number six, never acknowledge whining, nonverbal communication. Yeah, nah, no, hmm. Because, see, that's what they'll, they'll be doing. I, children, some here, some in this church. A- Andrew and I, we were in a conversation the other day with a young man. He's already smiling. And in the course of about four questions with this young man, this young man never one time answered with a yes, sir, no, sir, or even a yes or no. It was, mm, uh, uh. You see, parent... It is your responsibility and my responsibility to teach even basic manners. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. And you say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, let me tell you something. Some guy goes in for a job interview and he goes, hmm, huh, huh. And the other guy's going, yes, sir. No, sir. Who do you think is going to get the job? You see, you're hedging in, you're training up, and you're impressing into their life even basic etiquette so they know how to act. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Folly, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. How do you get it out of them? You beat it out of them. <laughs> now, let me, let me tell you, you get in a lot of trouble a lot of times here. Some parents don't believe in corporal punishment, meaning physical spankings. How you discipline your child is up to you. Um, It may be time out. It may be a chair in the corner. It may be the loss of privileges. But there has to be some form of discipline. Kevin Lehman said this. He said, let me give young parents a process here. He said, first of all, give the chore. In other words, you tell your child to clean up their room, which you define it to a young child. You say, listen, that means pick up your toys, pick up your dirty clothes, and make your bed. Secondly, you give the repercussions if the chore is not done. uh, You can't go outside, you can't play, or you can't watch TV, or you can't have your friends over, or you won't get your allowance until you do what I told you to do. That's number two. Third thing that you do, you don't get called up in dialogue and discussion. You don't acknowledge whining and complaining. In fact, Kevin Lehman said when you tell a child, and he said, especially when they're teenagers, he said when they're teenagers, you open the door and say, you got to clean your room up before you go with your friends. And then you run as fast as you can. Because you don't want to hear what they're going to say. Because it'll get ugly from there. And he said, number four, he said, reward them on occasions when they obey you. Last thing, number nine or eight, pray for an awareness of self. Men, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. My wife sometimes will say, did you hear the way you just said that? Now this is my answer. What? The way you just said that, the way you just sound. Did you, did you hear how you just sound? No. What are you talking about? As a parent, parent, listen, you have to pray for an awareness of self. God help me 
to be mindful of how I sound, how I behave, how I speak in my marriage, in my home, and in the life of my children. And I've failed here, just like everyone in this room has. Let me say the key to parenting, fall in love with Jesus and lead your children to fall in love with him too. Jesus loves kids. First of all, you don't attract thousands unless you're really good with kids. And the fact that young mothers were wanting to bring their children to Jesus just meant that he just had the kind of personality. He just loved kids. Let me ask you something. I want to ask you, senior adult, an adult, I want to ask you this. Do kids love you? Do children love you? I, I'm, I'm serious. Do they, do they love you? Because children... Uh, what's the, I, I'm going to get in trouble, but the old country music song, Old Dogs and Children and Watermelon Wine. <laughs> I never drank no watermelon wine. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know if there's such a thing. And don't raise your hand and say, yeah, there is. <laughs> but you know, children and dogs can read you like a book, can't they? Kids especially. And they love Jesus. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions as we close and pray. If right now you've got a rebellious child, whatever age, toddler, elementary age, teenage, young adult, college age, student age, adult child, let me ask you a question. Do you think the life that you're living right now may be contributing to any part of that problem? Is the life you're living right now contributing in any way to the problem as to their rebellion? Is there something that you may need to take responsibility for and ask God for, for forgiveness, to repent, and maybe to go to that child? Is your example in daily time in the Word of God, in prayer, in church, in your private life? You've heard me tell the story of a family in this church that is completely shattered and broken to pieces and still are to this day because the oldest son walked through the living room at one o'clock in the morning and saw his dad looking at pornography. And this family began to fall apart. Mom and dad, is there something in your life right now? Are you living a life that may be contributing to the problem? And repent. Ask God to forgive you. And if you need to, ask your child to do the same. Because it's time to change. To young parents, listen to me. Get a hold of your children while you have a chance. Training up a child is a 24-7 job. It's not something that you periodically do. You do it quite often. And let me say this. Uh, a child's perfect attendance in school... Man, I had a bunch of those. I thought, man, this is the stupidest thing in the world. I got my doctorate just so I could go to the school and check my kids out for nothing. Um, I'm here to pick up Emily. She's got a doctor's appointment. She did with Dr. Jeff. 
And we are dear friends to this day, aren't we? Yeah. No matter how old they are, parent, there's times you just have to give them your undivided attention. And dad, there's some days you just need to take off work on a whim because God just impressed on your heart your child needs you. And you just need to go to the school or you need to go to the job or you need to go wherever and you need to say, Dad, just want to come by and tell you that I love you. Come on, let's go eat. And you say, I didn't have that. Then be that. You say, well, I've made a lot of mistakes. Then repent and start now. Parent, get a hold of the child while you have a chance. Instill in your child a fear and a horror of sin. Seek to engage their affections to Christ. Listen to this quote. Parents must instill in their children a fear and a horror of sin. You want to teach your children alcohol and drugs? You come ride the streets of the city. You go up under this bridge right here. You go to most minute marts and most hangouts and you'll see real quickly where drugs and alcohol will carry a person. And pray. Live the kind of life that you can be a model and example to them and then pray. You've heard me say a lot of times that my grandmother, though bent up with arthritis, though in horrible shape, when I would spend the night with her, she had 10 children. She had over 50 grandchildren at the time. She called them by name and prayed and cried out. If you're here today and you've got a parent, you've got a child that's rebellious, pray. Do everything you can, but then trust God, pray. Let's stand together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you, dear Lord, that you love us and that you care about us. And Lord, I pray for every parent in this room. I, I pray that they would understand that they've been entrusted with the most valuable thing in your creation, a life, a human being, child, boy or girl. And as a parent, dear Lord, the task is almost overwhelming. And for many parents in this room, they may fear more than they've ever feared before, but may they parent by faith and not by fear. May they trust you. May they be reminded that just as Amram and Jochebed were given the life of Moses in the worst possible society, in the worst situation, in the midst of the slavery under the Egyptian taskmasters, in the mud pits, in the, in the horrible situation that the Jewish people were in there in Exodus 1. But Amram and Jochebed were faithful. And they believed that God, every child you send... You sin with a plan and a purpose, a will and a direction. There's something you've called able to do. We don't know what that will be for this child that lays against the chest of his mother, even now wrapped up secure and tight with his dad by his side. We don't know which way he's bent. 
We don't know what role or task or responsibility, what purpose you've called them. But we pray that we can come alongside of Stan and Heidi. And as we pray and seek, God, your will for Abel's life, that we can be part of that process of staking him up, pointing him in the right direction, part of hedging him in so he has no choice but to grow and to look like Jesus. Lord, for some in this room as parents, they have grown children or children that are nearly grown that are breaking their hearts. There are people who listen on our website who will be on the internet. For some of them, dear Lord, they're hurting. They look back over their life and they say, God, I've made so many mistakes. May they understand that we serve a Savior, a merciful and gracious forgiving Savior who is a master of taking the past and twisting it and taking it in His hands and orchestrating it for His glory and His honor. For all things work together for good to them that are called according to His purpose, who love God and are called according to His purpose. And Lord, for parents in this room who love You, who look at the life of a child right now that may be living in rebellion, may they understand that, Lord, you will come alongside of them as they just continually turn that child over to you. Lord, I pray finally if there's some here that do not know you. They've been bent a long time in the wrong direction and they need the master They need the master gardener to come, the one who can stake up a red oak, the one who can take an old tree and twist it and form it back into the shape that it was meant to be. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, but you've spoken to their heart, may they come today and simply give their heart and life to you and say, from this day, I want to serve Jesus I receive him as my Lord, as my Savior, and I want to serve him beginning today for the rest of my life. For others who may be worn down, who may be living in disobedience, but you've convicted them, they know they're saved. Maybe this is a time to recommit, rededicate, come to this altar, spend a moment in prayer. Maybe there's some parents here who just need to come and once again take their child and lay them here at that altar, this altar, and to say, Lord, here I am. Only you can correct even my mistakes. And so, Lord, we trust you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.